Unfederated, a podcast for freelancers hosted by a brother and sister who are polar opposites, but have found a way to make a living doing what they love. Hey, Rob. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? Great. You're not about to get run over by a train, are you? Did you hear that? It's, yeah. It's, um, it's another Craigslist person emailing me. Oh, yeah. I'm not about to get run over by a train. Just getting a, a little email updates we talked about in the last episode. That is right. <laughs> toot, toot. Yeah. Check it, check it, check it. How's it going over there? Um, Real good. Uh, real happy. Like, um, I had, I just bought a box springs off of Craigslist and did not get killed by the stranger who delivered it for $10. Box spring was 20 delivery was 10, 30 us dollars exchanged hands for this stranger who showed up in a truck and then came into my bedroom and deposited box springs to my king size mattress. That's right. And just a, a nondescript teddy bear to go on uh, in your room, right? <laughs> yeah, it just goes in the corner. He said not to just touch little, it. Well, <laughs> maybe cam. Uh, yeah. Well, so, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I, it was a big find for me personally. So today has been successful for me, a big win. Um, how about you? Hey, uh, things are going okay over here. We had some technical difficulties getting this call to happen. So glad to. Glad we overcame those hurdles. That's I'm going to write that in my diary when we're done. Nothing could ever go wrong. <laughs> we're in the process. Oh, actually, uh, we talked about our family vacation on the last show. And uh, as a result of that um, trip where my daughter, my toddler, uh, got to sleep on a just a normal, good old-fashioned American mattress uh, instead of uh, pack-and-play or whatever. Uh, as we affectionately refer to it in our home as quote unquote, a big girl bed. She has uh, felt empowered and discovered that she can crawl out of her crib now. <laughs> so trying to get her to go to bed about this time of night is very challenging for, uh, for old mom and dad. So uh, Rachel a second ago was like, uh, your turn. I was like, Psh. I'm recording a podcast. Oh, that's why you were like, oh, no, we don't need to reschedule. Let's keep going. <laughs> fair, fair. Well, you know, it'll just take a while to get the locksmith to come out and <laughs> install the deadbolt, and then you'll be good to go. <laughs> Her room is upstairs, and we usually sit downstairs. Um, our upstairs is very crowded. We share too many walls with the bedroom with the sleeping child. Um, so we usually hang out downstairs when she's asleep. And you can hear her feet. Like it's just like she's doing a gymnastics routine up there. It's like like she just sprints back and forth across the you know, here on the ceiling. And then like we'll go up there and she'll be pretending to be asleep or she'll like sprint back over to her bed and she hears us walking up the stairs. And it's so funny because uh, you know, she's trying like to be mischievous, but she thus far sucks at it so <laughs> she didn't ride out of the gate at two and a half have a knack for just being a liar um yeah that's charming well so related to your daughter and vacation and everything else i think we were going to talk about the thing that will totally solve in the next like 27 minutes which is <laughs> whether or not to like, increase the size of your freelancing enterprise so as to make more money when that also means potentially less quality of life. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, and it's, I guess right out of the gate, we should kind of describe this is a bit of a privileged position 
to be talking about because it kind of assumes that you're at capacity or nearing capacity and um, that you've gone through kind of the season of your business that we've talked about where you, uh, once you kind of near capacity, you, you maybe um, entertain the idea of getting rid of some of your least favorite clients in favor of, of bringing on new ones. And so you've kind of gone through that. You have like a, a, a book of business now that are all clients that you enjoy working with and things are great. But then you, what, what do you do with like that? next opportunity you know do you start saying no to stuff because you know you're you're maxed out or do you try to bridge the gap somehow um be it you know hiring an intern or outsourcing some things or any number of options like do you do you continue to try to grow your empire in some capacity or do you just say enough is enough Yeah, so I guess you just say enough is enough. It was good talking to you. You have a good rest of the week. (laughs) Yeah, but like if you say enough is enough, then one of your clients leave and you don't have enough, then you have to go to the pavement again, et cetera, et cetera. So then maybe you just take one additional client. But then what if two of your clients leave? You know, it's a slippery slope. Uh, if you if you have the benefit of, you know, the economy is good right now, if you have the benefit of having um, enough work to do to meet whatever goal, not the goal you currently have, but the goal that you originally had when you set out. Um, you know, when do you call it quits or do you just continue growing until you're a big conglomerate? You know, there always has to be a time you tap out. Uh, I will now reference Rob, your WWF and WCW phase and uh, <laughs> you know, the familiarity you may still have with Stone Cold Steve Austin, etc. <laughs> Tapping out needs to happen. I, I remember the very moment I decided I didn't like professional wrestling anymore. It was a very eye-opening experience. Um, I was in the attic of our house um, uh, in Knoxville uh, with sitting on top of the treadmill that no one ever used. And I was watching uh, Monday Night Raw, and uh, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, uh, that night, um, The Undertaker was trying to crucify Stone Cold Steve Austin on a on an honest-to-God cross at the like entrance of the thing. And like of all of the crazy things that I had consumed through professional wrestling in my childhood, that somehow tipped the scales and my eyes were opened. <laughs> And I was like, what is this nonsense? And yeah. That was so, the thing. That was your like coup de grace. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I could, couldn't go past that. Um, just kind of hung it up. Uh, um, yeah. I, you know, I guess it's worth saying as we talk about this, like uh, you and I talked about this uh, at nauseum on our family vacation. And I don't think either of us have like a real solution. Uh And so, uh, you know, we could kind of tackle this in a pros and cons kind of way if it's helpful, but, um, but I, yeah, I mean, my mind goes to some really strong arguments for taking, you know, that next client or that the client after that, um, there's always client attrition. There's always the, um, you know, someone could leave and then you don't want to be left, uh, below your threshold of, of where you want to be uh, revenue-wise for your business. Um, it always gives you an opportunity to kind of level up on your clients. Um, you know, if someone comes along that's like, 
uh, uh, you know, for me, like a big brand I'd love to work with or something, you know, it's even harder to say no to that kind of situation. Or, or maybe I kind of eyeball it as like a, you know, could I, could I trade this, you know, client that has been okay, but I don't love for one that, you know, whatever this new hotness is. <laughs> um, yeah. And, um, uh, so there's, there's some like practical functional, uh, arguments for entertaining that. Uh, for bringing in that next client. But I will yeah. also add there are some characteristic, like when I feel of it and feel the thought of turning away like a, a new client just because I'm sufficiently busy. I think um, I, I have a lot of pride and um, kind of ego and a little bit of like just hoarder level greed. You know, you're like, oh, man, like, are you going to say no to $10,000? If somebody walks up to you and is like, well, how about this $10,000? Are you going to say, no, I'm good. I have enough money because that's how it feels. <laughs> so, you know, you're going to be like, cool. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Another 10. That means I make X. Like, sweet. And I'm, I'm really crushing this ego pride. Yeah. Or here's this like ridiculous thing that I've thought about buying that could I couldn't justify and woohoo here's like my permission to do that just walk in the door. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say no, but at the same time, every, I mean, you kind of eventually, if you don't say no, your capacity and your quality will start saying no for you. I guess. Yeah, and, I, and that's 100% what it is for me at working and, and specifically my time spent in and around accounting firms, which uh, I've had connection with a few. Um, there is always this sense of like uh, neglecting your current client for whoever the new client was, right? Like you, you never said no, but like once, you know, from a client's perspective, once you got in and you were, you know, uh, a part of the firm again, the level of attention you got fell off dramatically and um you know we're we're running businesses that are just the one person equivalent to whatever that is and it's it's hard to like i have a handful of clients now that i adore that i wouldn't want to lose and i wouldn't want to risk losing them and so it, it worries in the same way i worry about losing one of them and not hitting revenue goals i also worry about getting so busy doing stuff that's not attending to them well that one of them leaves, you know, and like, ultimately, what I want to do is be like, the best service provider in the world I can for these five companies, right. Um, and I think doing that could lead to growing the amount of work I do for them. And like, still growing a business, like still expanding, but just within the confines of those few clients. But you know, you never know, they, in my case, they renew each year. And you know, what happens if, you know, the problem with growing them and having just the five that you take this really great care of is if one leaves and then it's, you know, 20% of your uh, revenues walking out the door with them. And then, then you're kind of a little bit behind the curve and replacing them, you know, or it's going to be really hard to replace them with a client of the same caliber, right? Yeah. Yep. That's, that's the issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've, I've just myself have just gone so, so far back and forth between I happen to have a couple of people that I've, I've met um, a couple of people in my life that one would love to learn the industry that I, you know, the craft that I do. And another has worked with me in the past that um, has a full time job elsewhere, but uh, would love some freelance work. 
And so I just happen to have these two people, uh, one of which I trust a lot, one of which I've, I've just started to get to know, but have no reason not to trust them, um, that would love some of this work that I have that I don't know what to do with. And so, you know, there's an option for me to just refer it and uh, get the, you know, the karma or the, the uh, pat on the back for doing that and um, going on my merry way. But then there's also this temptation of like, well, I'll just take it and I'll, you know, kind of run it through my business and it'll give me this opportunity to scale. Um, and I, I just worry that it's not that cut and dry, right? Like, the, the, you know, one of those people is going to flake on me or some weird thing's going to happen and it's going to be a little more complicated than that. Yeah, I mean... Uh, that's very, that's a very real thing. And there's a lot of security in expanding and getting bigger. It like, I don't know, like, you know, it's just, you have more balls in the air. And so maybe you're just more distracted, even if it's not, maybe it feels more secure in a way because you've just got more stuff happening. If you've got like your independent contractor who's working for you is moving things forward and some intern you got from, you know, who's in college is moving things forward and you're working on some clients and getting new client leads. You're like, things are going great. Things are going great. But maybe they aren't. I mean, maybe the bottom line doesn't reflect that they are at all. Um, just getting kind of busy and distracted and stuff isn't always the solution. I say this all from a perspective of like, I'm going that direction, <laughs> you know, like I, I, we talked about travel in the last episode and, and just generally I have so, I have such a large amount of clients who are businesses that, you know, I might not hear from one for three months, but then they need something that's really like kind of big and, and urgent and that's fine. But if you have, over a hundred of those, then you can have three people who need something pretty big and pretty urgent all at once. And and that's not fine because then you can't service all that. And so I'm currently trying to figure out uh, the best way to build out uh, this kind of like overflow like pipeline. Um, I don't know. It's like a whatever, like a overflow valve, you know? Yeah. Right. Release valve. Yeah. 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 And I think our, our businesses are a little bit different in this, that you have clients that you may not hear from for months and they just show up. And so you like that would be even more challenging because you've got to, I mean, there's always this quest to bring in more clients because you never know if you'll hear from them again. Right. And my business is a little bit more predictable in that like most of my clients are in like a 12 month deal with me and I'm providing a set amount of time and attention each month to them. Um, some months that all goes great, right? Like I, I give them the number of hours that I promised them or, you know, uh, the service, the level of service I promised them. And some months they need less than that. Some months they need more than that. So I, I do have, you know, a situation where, uh, it's, it's possible that multiple of my clients need more of my time than I've allotted, at the same time, and that can be problematic. But um, I think for me, the the challenge with this kind of like constantly scaling or you know trying to scale thing is that um, I have this like eighty twenty thing with my clients. I, I imagine this is not uncommon, but it, it feels like about eighty percent of my revenue comes from twenty percent of my clients. You know. Uh, it doesn't really quite work out that way, but, but like 
you know, I have a handful of clients that are just awesome. We, we have like really strong relationships and, uh, the, the level of, uh, what I'm doing for them just fits really well. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, the, the, that next client, right. That one other client that, uh, I put on my plate that they were talking about. Um, if I have to outsource that, um, it's, it's a lower profit margin for me, right? Like I'm paying someone else to do the work and, I feel like there's this like chemistry, this ecosystem of like um, bringing in another person into the fold. Inevitably, like you're increasing the opportunity that that person's going to need a lot of time and attention. That's right? true. And, yeah. And what I don't want to happen for me is that um, s- that person who I have the lowest profit margin with, if we're just purely thinking numbers here, is demanding more of my time than all these other, you know, clients that I'm so fond of. Right. And, and I, you know, and so there's this constant struggle to keep my priorities in line. Like, okay, these four clients get taken care of first, you know, and then like so on and so forth. But, it, you know, as you know, that doesn't always play out the way, I mean, it sounds great, but it doesn't always play out that way. Yeah. I would agree with that. I, I think, I mean, as I'm hearing the way that our client bases are different, I think, we're the exact example, each of us, like you're the exact example of someone who probably should know when to say when and just, you know, like maybe you keep a little buffer on the edge and use some contractors for it. But for the most part, you just, you you have people who sign up for a year, you know, (laughs) like you have predictability of income, you have um, a relatively small number of clients you have to deal with, and you're able to make more than what you even wanted originally to make. So for you, it makes a lot of sense. I think maybe for me, having the erratic nature of having these clients in such a greater number, that I actually have less good quality of life, potentially, um, than than if I uh, expanded. Because everything can crash down on me suddenly without warning. <laughs> yeah, regardless uh, of how many clients you have. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. Whether it's 12, I mean, that's still, if you have six people who need something immediately, you can't do that. And and I'm talking about the legitimate ones. I mean, there's people who are like genuinely, I, I mean, I don't have like emergencies in the way that, you know, litigator or um, it's like a doctor has or anything, but still, hey, we're meeting with an investor who didn't think he was going to delve to um, slot us in. We need an NDA. Oh, we meet from, you know, we meet with him for dinner tonight. Like, all right, well, you know, whatever I'm planning on doing, I probably ought to like crank out an NDA and get it to them um, before that. Or, hey, I'm selling my business and the person wants to close by uh, December 25th. You know, <laughs> like, well, who am I? Like, what role do I have to say no? <laughs> like, that won't work. It's, um, you know, usually a much bigger deal than, than me. So there can be some real legitimate uh, time pressures. So I think maybe um, that's like your business type is more... Um, suited for staying uh, small, like, you know, staying less complicated. And mine is more prone to complication. It's probably indicative of our personalities a good bit too. And it makes me feel like that's to some degree, we've built the business or we've been attracted to the business that we want 
in that regard, you know. Um, I think you get bored in my world, and I think uh, I'd be pretty stressed out in yours. Fair. That's a good disc- – yeah, that's got to be true. Yeah. Um, but it's tough because, I mean, you know, you're turning away money. Um, you're turning away some other – like, you know, it seems silly to just be like, nope, that's enough, you know. Um, but, it, you know, the season of life that you're in or uh, – for for example um, – my daughter has had this like reoccurring ear infection that has like seemed to occupy the better part of a month of our life. And we just happen to be in a season where my life's not very busy, but my work is really busy. So she's having to shoulder a lot of that. And it, it has been a very real example for me. Like I, I, I want to have the capacity to be able to help, you know, in those kind of just random off the wall situations that you wouldn't know. And it's, it's not that like I'm working 90 hour weeks or something, but um, uh, the nature of my business is that if, you know, well, all of our businesses, if, if I'm not putting in the hours, the work's not getting done, you know? Um, so uh, at the same time, I feel, you know, guilty or I feel like it's challenging for me to uh, unplug in that way for days at a time and feel like uh, things are moving in a good direction. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think, you, know, you have different times, um, and if you're in a time where you're just trying to generate as much money as possible, that's a different analysis than if you're in a place where you're trying to balance as much money as possible for as good of life as possible. Yeah. You, you sent me an article the other day about, uh, I don't know if you read it or if you just skimmed it and sent it to me. Okay. Okay. Uh, about lifestyle business versus like, in, in this article, they're kind of comparing it to like a Silicon Valley startup, which is obviously very far on the other end of the spectrum. Um, but but a lot of the points they made were, were not um, unrelated in that it's like the thing I took away from it more than anything was that there's there's no lack of pride in building a lifestyle business, you know. In my perspective, like even working for small businesses – that aren't a Silicon Valley VC funded startup, there's, there's still a lot of the same pressures, right? Like um, no one employs you and says, "Mm, that's probably enough work from you. (laughs) You know, like if you'll work more, there's plenty of opportunity to work more and you get into that kind of um, what I call white collar overtime. Um, But uh, so, you know, there's always the kind of pressures to get ahead and what is enough and to have the freedom and flexibility to say, this is enough. I'm good here is is really kind of a noble place, especially if you can do that at a level that you're you're still, you know, financially sound or or living the life that uh, satisfies you. I agree. And it's funny because the thing that hit me about that article, you know, it is about very, very much Silicon Valley and startups and blah, blah, blah. But um, what it's speaking to is this kind of urgency that that people were throwing themselves into in their early 20s of like, you know, you work 24 seven and eat, like eat and breathe and sleep your job at the startup and then you get this great um, exit event. And it's all for this purpose, which I've kind of thought about that because I I represent businesses and some of them are doing that. And I've thought, Oh boy, that looks and feels a lot different than (laughs) running a business you plan on still doing 50 years from now, (laughs) you know, Um, because it's very, uh, it's like a definite sprint, not a marathon. And um, the, the article kind of said, 
you don't have to do that. <laughs> you know, not everything has to be all in, you know, work for four years, hope that you're one uh, out of, you know, 10,000 that gets this phenomenal exit. And then you can go, it's this like adrenaline chasing thing. And then you can, then your life begins right after the startup. And I think we're all guilty of thinking, well, I'll just like do this. I'll generate as much money as I can right now. And then once I get the firm built and hire a bunch of associates, then my life begins. And, um, he was saying there's nothing wrong with, you know, intentionally building a business that you want to work at that supports the lifestyle that you're interested in. And that spoke to me. Yeah. I mean, we've all um, had jobs to the contrary of that, right? Like we've all had jobs that would take more than we wanted to give them or that we would often make trade-offs from time to time for a little more vacation versus a little less money or, you know, uh, insert any kind of give and take in that situation. And usually you don't even have the flexibility to make those decisions on your own, much less uh, act on them, you know. Uh, maybe you have a boss that'll, you know, at your annual review will give you an extra week of vacation versus whatever. But, um, you know, what happens in those, all those gray areas in between, you know? Yeah, that's, I think, um, I think it, it, we've all been there, but also I still find myself sometimes maybe to speak to what you said about me getting bored. I still find myself sometimes thinking, Oh, should I be doing something like that? Should I have some big like goal that cashes out in five years? Um, because right now, and maybe I think of this because I've assumed um, the book of business of someone who who is doing this, who's living the startup life, and I feel like that person, the way they ran their business, was very much like the way they ran their law firm um, was very much the way you would run it if you didn't plan on doing it forever. <laughs> like like really coddling people, low rates, uh, forgot to bill a lot, you know, <laughs> and um, just not really like uh, the structure that you would want to keep, keep at. Um, so I have a lot of points of comparison to think, well, you know, is this person's big exit event? Is that something I should envy? Should I be doing more um, than just being a service provider and planning on doing that for the next 50 years? But um, there's nothing wrong with planning on being a service provider and building something stable and long lasting that has a much greater likelihood of um, being stable and around by the time you're retirement age. Yeah, and that's the, the thing with the VC fund startup kind of thing is it's it's a um, it's a bottle rocket, right? It shoots up fast, and there's a little poof at the end. But the statistically, it's that's it, you know. And um, meanwhile, you could you could kind of be down a little bit below the fray, just kind of grinding it out a little bit. And I think in both of our situations, we talk about the latter as though it's less. Uh, you know, noble is not the right word, but it's it's somehow lesser than than the uh, prior. Um, I do think we live in a season now where the startup scene has a bigger um, microscope on it. Uh, you know, even general people are kind of familiar with Silicon Valley and venture capital, and there's something kind of sexy about all of that, unless you've been in in it or around it, and then it kind of loses its mystique a bit. Um, but at the same time, you and I have both 
uh, significantly increased our incomes and significantly increased our quality of lives doing doing the the unattractive option of those three, right? So, like, uh, you know, to some degree, um, what's unattractive about that? You know, um, what's what does that mean to us? Uh, that you know, the other still seems more uh, impressive than what we're doing. Now. Yeah, I think that is probably. Um really relevant because I don't know about you, but a lot of the people who want to talk to me about freelancing, their thoughts are more in the, I have this great idea startup space um, because it is glamorous and sexy and you know, appealing. But I think that's why we, we you know call it when we decided what to term this stuff. And we said freelancing because, um, you know, it's just different than startup or entrepreneurship or whatever you want to call it, where you've got this intention of having an out in five years. It's it's like you're building something to, I mean, building something to sell it in five years is such a different process than building something so that you still want to be doing it uh, 30, 40, 50 years from now. Yeah. And, and the expectations of that, too, are that you're building something for yourself versus you're building something for investors. Right. And like when you, you know, the old adage of like, well, entrepreneurs make money while they sleep. Yeah. But like a lot of that money is going to other people, you know. And so like there's something, um, you know, that that I admire about the fact that, yeah, like I have to get up and work to make money, but I get to keep 100 percent of it and. And if I don't like doing the work, I just don't do it, you know, uh, versus if I had some venture firm that says, nope, got to got to do a little more, got to, you know, uh, if I was some sort of CEO of a startup making, uh, ha- having the option to make $10 million a year or $2 million a year and $2 million is plenty, well, tough, like go make the 10, you know. Um, I keep thinking of that Mad Men scene where Peggy's uh, arguing about how she, ha- uh, Don hasn't thanked her. And he, he very sternly says, that's what the money's for. <laughs> and it's, it's this real heartless part of, you know, after, towards the end of the show where he, um, all of his uh, bad decisions have kind of come home to roost and, you know, he's uh, noticeably unhappy. But, um, you know, there's kind of some sense to that that we're faced with uh, as we kind of venture down that road of like what is sufficient and um, just the – to be fortunate enough to have the freedom to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. And I guess, you know, it's not a decision that has to be wrestled. I mean, the wrestling with that decision of balancing your, your work and your life and, and growing and staying small and, you know, leanness and flexibility and all of that. That's, it's just, you've got to constantly keep readjusting. Like that's, just the only the only way and then learn to be content with that process yeah i think as we process this and i've, I've called and picked your brain about this um on the phone multiple times and in person on a trip the thing that just keeps i keep coming back to is like it's um it's my call you know what i mean like i've built this business like i at some point when i start thinking about this i feel like it's outside of my control somehow and I think I think that's an error. Like it's absolutely in my control. I can choose to do this however I want to. Um, if it's a season where I need to make more money for whatever reason, um, then I have that option. And if it's a season where I'd rather uh, spend more time with my family or what have you, uh, I have that option too. 
it's just a weird place to be because it's uh, like it's unusual, right? Like I've never been in that position in my career up until here recently, and and it just feels foreign. Yeah, it does. It's it's hard to be, um, it, as Americans, <laughs> it's hard to turn down money. So any decision that involves turning down money will feel very unnatural. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you're a service provider, that's not going to be the last person who offers you money. And you can respond differently next time if you need to or if you regret it. Um, so I think staying, empowering yourself to be able to, whether you do or not, by keeping your your costs down and um, doing good work with your other clients is probably the best solution. How, how do you feel that marketing uh, enters in this situation? Like, obviously, if you're wanting to keep growing your keep, you want to keep growing your business. You should keep doing marketing. If you're on the other side of that and you feel like you have enough, would you suggest? Um, like limiting or stopping your marketing because you don't, you, there's just more people for you to say no to or how, how would you approach that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I still, I think it, I had so much work to do last February that I just like went, went off the scene. <laughs> um, and, uh, I didn't get to, um, any networking events I'd normally go to or anything. And then by July, I was like, I didn't have any work to do. So um, I think when you have, for me, having enough work, I need to leave capacity to still be getting out there and putting my face in front of people and networking and stuff because you know, it won't hit immediately. It'll hit like eight months later that I don't have enough work. So I think, yeah, I have to keep marketing no matter what. But how about you? Yeah, I'd say the same thing. I mean, uh, it, it's if nothing else, it combats the fear that like what happens if one of my four clients leaves, right? Like, and and that you you have to start all of that from nothing, um, and just being in a place where you can, and, and you know, it, um, it's kind of like entertainment seven twenty telling everyone they're so full that they can't take clients at the first part of the business. Um, you know, it seems silly to be out there like shaking hands, just telling people that you don't have time to help them with stuff. Like it seems counterproductive, but, uh, if I think if anything, um, it allows you to go in situations like that and seem so much more genuine because you're not really trying to get anything out of it. You're there to legitimately meet people and, um, see if you can help them in ways other than the client relationship. And, and part of that might actually bolster some of your your marketing prowess um, uh, to cash in on later. You know, you're just kind of uh, maybe building up some equity uh, and, and making some contacts that you could call upon if the time ever presented itself. I, I've seen that play out. Like my independent law group of uh, small solo firms that get together, we just get together because we like each other. Um, and then every, and everyone seems to have plenty to do. So it's not about that. But every now and then somebody will say, Oh, I'm a little dry, actually. Does anybody have any referrals? And everyone's like, Oh my gosh, this is the moment. Like we can finally, you know, get so excited to like, uh, actually, and, and you start, you know, I'll, I will just rack my brain or go out of my way to mention the person to other people I'm interacting with and try to like really help them. Um, because, you know, it's so rare that I get the opportunity to. Yeah. So I think we figured it all out. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think if anything, if you're in this position and this is something, a question you're asking yourself, like pat yourself on the back and take a minute to just like appreciate the fact that you have found yourself in a successful freelance career. You know, like this is kind of a little bit privileged and it's, it's a situation that like once you've gotten here, like you've navig- navigated a lot of hurdles to make it here. Um, this is yet another hurdle to navigate, but um, it's certainly the good kind. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yay. Congratulations. And if you're not here yet, um, you know, put a pin in this. I hope you, uh, I hope you get here, um, soon and we won't be here forever. I mean, the economy can't ball out of control forever. So if, if it turns and we're really scrounging, um, we'll try not to listen to this episode again. <laughs> yeah. We'll just delete it from yeah. memory. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good week, brother. Yeah, you as well. And uh, before we go, I will let the listeners know if you want to see show notes for this episode, you can visit unfederated.studio slash 28. You can watch the Mad Men clip that I mentioned earlier, which is amazing, uh, and get on this really long rabbit trail of watching Mad Men clips, which I did earlier today. Yeah, I've never even talked to you about Mad Men. And of course you love it because marketing and... That makes sense. Yeah. They had the whole, like, you can buy the whole season on iTunes for 30 bucks. They had a bunch of shows in that category um, at the end of the year. I don't know if they're still there or not. Um, but it, I, 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 I over, overdid it, overdid myself and be uh, cashing in on shows that I could just stream on Netflix. But for some reason, I wanted to own. You own it now. <laughs> yes. That's true fandom. That is true fandom. You're one of the proud few. <laughs> You're a madman. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, <laughs> all right. All right. Good chatting. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. bye.